Let's pray together. Lord, you created us to know you and honor you and enjoy you forever. And there were impossible barriers between us and you because of our sin. And you overcame those through Christ. We're thankful that we can sing of his love and mercy and that our sins are no longer the issue between us and you if we have trusted in him and that we now have access to you, we now belong to you, we know you in a relationship and that will last forever. I pray for anyone who is here who doesn't know you yet in a personal way, has never come to Christ. Lord, would you show them their need for Jesus? Would you draw them to him as the only one who can save? And Lord, as we open your word now and look at how you describe yourself to your people, Lord, I pray that you just reveal yourself very clearly to us. We'd have a better vision of who you are, that you would strengthen our faith and encourage our hearts as we see the kinds of things you promise to us. I pray you'd be working in us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text for today is one of the most well-known passages in the whole Bible. And because it is so familiar, a potential problem we might face this morning is numbness. We've heard it before. Maybe we've even memorized it. And so our response to this beautiful description of our relationship with God might be rather lukewarm. The Apostle Peter was up against a similar dynamic when he wrote his second letter. You heard Jesus read some of the verses, but let me read verse 12 and 13. He says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, I know you already know this. This is not new information. But I'm going to keep on reminding you about these things because I want to stir up your sluggish hearts. I don't want you to grow indifferent to these precious truths just because you've heard them all before. And so this morning we want to ask God to stir our hearts to give us a fresh taste of the sweetness of knowing him as our shepherd. So if you have your Bible, you can probably figure out what psalm we're going to this morning, uh, the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bible, please turn there with me. And the first phrase, of course, is one everybody has memorized, the Lord is my shepherd, which is Really a profound statement if you stop and think for a moment. Lord in all capitals is Yahweh or Jehovah. The great I am that I am. The self-existing everlasting God. 
who made heaven and earth. He's my shepherd. Not just the Lord is a shepherd, not just the Lord is the shepherd of his people, which is true, but he's my shepherd. I belong to him. He has taken personal responsibility to take care of me the way a shepherd takes care of his sheep. So let's look first at resting in the Lord's provision. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I will not lack anything necessary because he provides for all my needs. For example, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You might know Israel is basically a hot, dry desert with a lot of rocks. And so finding enough grass to graze on and fresh water to drink was a big part of a shepherd's job description, especially since sheep can't find food or water on their own. This is from Leon Morris. Sheep are helpless, dependent animals. They are not good foragers. Unless they are brought to the place where the pastures are, they are in trouble. I recall one sheep station in the Australian outback. The men on the station told me that when they put a flock of sheep into a paddock, they had to come out and drive the sheep to the water troughs. There was no shortage of water in the troughs, but left to themselves, they did not know how to find it. So if sheep are going to survive in that kind of environment with that lack of ability, they really need a shepherd. And David is saying, I am as completely dependent on God as my shepherd as those sheep I used to take care of when I was a young man. I am not independent. I am not self-sufficient. I can't take care of all my needs. But the Lord is willing and able to provide for me. The Lord not only provides all my needs, he restores my soul. Restore means to renew, to bring back to a good condition, to give new life. And let's face it, our souls often get weary. They get dry and depleted. And we can't get ourselves out of a spiritual slump. But the Lord himself restores our sluggish souls. He says in Jeremiah 31, 25, I satisfy the weary one and refresh everyone who languishes. Languish means lacking energy or enthusiasm and unwillingness or inability to exert oneself due to fatigue or weakness. And maybe you'd have to say, uh, my soul's been languishing lately. <laughs> I don't have much energy. <laughs> I feel pretty weak. It's kind of flat. And the good news is the Lord, our shepherd, is the one who can restore our souls back to a good, healthy place. And one of the main ways he does that is through his Word. Psalm 19.7 says the law, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Same word as in Psalm 23. So if your soul's languishing, make sure you're taking in the word of God because that is the means he has ordained to help restore our souls back to a good condition. 
The Lord provides for all my needs. He restores my soul and he guides my paths. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. David is drawing on his experience as a shepherd. He knew that sheep do not have a good sense of direction. They all too easily wander away and get lost. And so they need a shepherd to lead them where they need to go. And in a similar way, we are prone to wander. We sing that song, <laughs> prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we can't figure out the right way on our own. Je Jeremiah 10, 23 says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. We don't want to be in charge of figuring out our own lives. We'll make a mess of it. We need our shepherd to guide us, and he's committed to guiding us. In fact, his reputation is at stake in how well he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Psalm 31.3 says, For your namesake, you will lead me and guide me. So if we can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, then we can also say, I shall not want. That doesn't mean there's nothing I want to have or nothing I want to happen. But it does mean I will not be lacking anything that my perfect shepherd thinks I really need. We sang last Sunday, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Is that true or not? I think we'd have to say, yeah, it really is. He has provided everything I need. God promises to faithfully take care of everything his people need. Let's look at a few verses for that. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. Psalm 34, verse 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. Just like Psalm 23. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Something similar in Psalm 84, verse 11. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then a verse we looked at last week, but it's worth repeating, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It says from Matthew Henry, If the Lord is my shepherd, I may conclude I shall not want anything that is really necessary and good for me. More is implied than is expressed. Not only I shall not want, but I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I do not have everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me or not good for me or I shall have it in due time. I just find that very helpful. God promised to provide your needs. He's the one who defines what a need is, not us. So if we desire something and we don't have it, it's either it isn't really good for us the way God in his perfect wisdom sees it or in due time we will get it. So we can't lose. God is a faithful shepherd to provide our needs. 
The next two verses speak of resting in the Lord's protection. Back in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Well, sheep are not only helpless to provide for themselves, they are also defenseless in terms of protecting themselves from various threats to their safety and well-being. And again, David had a lot of experience protecting his sheep from danger. He tells Saul about his shepherding days in 1 Samuel 17. He says, Your servant was leading or tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So being a shepherd for David means I, I face lions and bears. John 10, Jesus talks about wolves. <laughs> so there's some enemies out there for sheep. And there's enemies and dangers for us. And the Lord is committed to take care of us even in the presence of our enemies and to be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. Dale Rife Davis writes about that valley. The ravines of Israel could be treacherous to descend and arduous to climb and could harbor wild animals. All in all, a sheep's worst nightmare. So this valley signals the life-threatening fear-generating situations of the Lord's flock. And yet we need to remember that the valley of the shadow of death is also one of the paths of righteousness that he leads us in. So whatever threatening situation we might have to face, maybe some health issue or some kind of crisis that makes us wonder, am I going to make it through this? And even the approach of death itself, we don't need to fear any evil. If we know the Lord is our shepherd, we don't have to be afraid. Not because we're so brave. We're not. And not because those things aren't scary, because they are, but because the Lord is with us. And that is the antidote against fear over and over again in the scriptures. God says, fear not, to his people dozens and dozens of times. I actually searched, because I'd always heard God says, fear not, 365 times, one for every day of the year. Turns out that's just a myth. But it, it is like close to 100. So that's a lot. And even if he only said it once, that's plenty. Don't fear. Why not? Because I'm with you. God Almighty is with me. So let's look at a few verses that... That's how God encourages us not to fear. Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. The Lord's with you, therefore you don't have to be afraid. Or Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear. Why not? For I am with you. Do not Anxiously look about you. Why not? For I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Isaiah 43, starting at the end of verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 5, do not fear, for I am with you. So God reassures us over and over again, don't have to be afraid. Even in facing death itself, I'm with you. And the psalm ends with a verse about resting in the Lord's promises. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is no doubt in David's mind about how the Lord will take care of him in the future. He is confident that goodness and mercy or goodness and loving kindness, steadfast love, will continue to follow him for the rest of his life. He is sure that God's compassion and kindness and favor and love will be there for him during the whole time he lives on this earth. Several commentators point out that the word follow is probably too weak. It might suggest to our minds that goodness and mercy are just kind of lagging behind at a distance and have to catch up sometimes. But the same word is translated pursue in other verses. One writer expresses the idea of saying God has two dogs, one named goodness and the other named mercy, and they are always right on our heels, and they never leave us out of their sight. In other words, the Lord's goodness and mercy are constantly pursuing us every single day. Not just on our good days, but on our bad days. Sometimes you have to take that by faith, right? <laughs> I had a bad day this week, and I knew I was teaching this verse. It's like, okay, <laughs> I want to trust that. That this is goodness and mercy. Not just when we're on vacation, but when we're in the hospital. Not just when we're having a fun time with our family, but when we're not having a fun time at work. All the days of our lives are included. And so if you're nervous about something this week or later this summer, something uncertain about something down the road in the future... You can count on the fact goodness and mercy will be there for that day. God promises there'll be new mercies every morning, including those days. And so we can rest in that. We can rest that every day of our lives, God's goodness and mercy are going to be with us. And when this brief life is over, and after we have walked with the Lord through the valley of the shadow of death, we can rest in the promise of dwelling in the Lord's house forever. David loved the Lord's house. In Psalm 26, verse 8, he says, Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, The chief desire of his heart is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Remember, he said, One thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Does that mean David wants to quit his job as king and work full time at the temple? No, it's just a way of saying, I want to spend as much time 
as I possibly can in the presence of the Lord. Because as he says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So why wouldn't I want to spend all the time I can in God's presence? He says, I want to enjoy your nearness and gaze on your beauty, literally your delightfulness. I want to gaze at God's delightfulness. And he's saying, I've experienced wonderful tastes of those blessings already. We all have in a worship service, in a quiet time, maybe in a car when there's a beautiful sunset. We felt the Lord nearness. We just think, oh, I just want this to go on and on, this feeling of closeness and just a sense of peace that we have when we're, we just know the Lord's with us. And David's saying, you know, someday... <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the fullness of his glorious presence forever and I'll be dwelling with him in his house forever and it'll never end. That joy will just never end. So that's what he's looking forward to in the future. So as we close, do you know that is your future destiny? Which is another way of asking the question, do you know the Lord is your shepherd if God is showing you you don't have that kind of relationship with him, first of all, acknowledge, I have been going the wrong way. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. So it wasn't just that we made some mistakes or made some foolish choices, but we have all turned away from God and choose, chosen to go our own way instead and so we need to turn from going away from God, going our own way, and turn to Jesus. Jesus takes this imagery from Psalm 23 and applies it to himself. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Let's start at verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then over in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. 
for you were continually straying like sheep. It wasn't just a once in a while thing. It was constant. Always straying like a bunch of sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian or overseer or bishop of your souls. So right in those verses you see Christ bore our sins in his body when he died on the cross. Verse 22 says he committed no sin nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus had no sins of his own so when he's dying it's not for his own sins. It's dying as a substitute for sinners. He's paying the penalty we deserve to pay namely the judgment and wrath of a holy God so that all who trust in him would be forgiven and restored and brought into a relationship with God. That same letter, 1 Peter says in verse 18 of chapter 3, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. It's the only way we get to God. Jesus has to bring us. He's the only door. Anyone enters through him, he'll be saved. No other way, no other door. He is the one. Jesus died and was buried, and God raised him from the dead on the third day to show that his son had accomplished everything necessary to rescue lost sheep like us. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We couldn't find our own way back. <laughs> we needed a shepherd to seek us and find us and rescue us and save us. Matthew Henry wrote, Jesus Christ is the best of shepherds, the best in the world to take the oversight of our souls. None so skillful, so faithful, or so tender as he. And so trust in Jesus as your savior and as your shepherd of your soul. And for those who know the Lord as their shepherd, let's ask that we might enjoy more contentment as we rest in his faithful provision. And that we would experience more peace as we rest in his protection. And that we would have more confidence about facing the future as we rest in his promises. I want to close with a quote from John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. He's writing a letter to a British nobleman about, quote, that sweet expression of David, the Lord is my shepherd. Like sheep, we are weak, defenseless, prone to wander, unable to return, and always surrounded by wolves. But all is made up in the fullness, ability, wisdom, compassion, care, and faithfulness of our great shepherd. He guides, protects, feeds, heals, and restores, and will be our guide even until death. Then he will meet us, receive us, and present us unto himself, and we shall be near him and like him and with him forever. And this is what he wants this nobleman, and this is what I want in my heart and your heart this morning to do with that information that we just had about the shepherd. May you feel the peace, the confidence, the blessedness, which a believing application of these words 
is suited to inspire. Let's pray. So, Lord, we don't want to just know these things. We don't want to just memorize these verses. We don't want to just agree with them in our heads. We want to feel the sweetness, taste the sweetness of knowing you as our shepherd this morning. And we want to keep going into this week and into the future until you call us home. Just confident that goodness and mercy are going to follow us. That you're going to be with us. You're going to take care of all our needs and protect us from ultimate harm and fulfill all your promises to us. As we saw in Sunday school, you are a God who cannot lie. And so if you have said these things, they must be true. They will be proven to be true. And so, Lord, we want to rest in you as your sheep this morning, as your children, as your people. And I pray for anyone who is here this morning who doesn't know Jesus. What a scary place to be now. And what a terrifying thing as death approaches. Would you rescue them? Would you seek and save them that they too might know the, the beauty of knowing you in this relationship? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to stand and sing Shepherd.